We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated over on Fan Nation. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to the episode of this episode of the podcast today, Monday, February 28th, whether you are watching us live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus or over on Apple Podcasts, over on Spotify. However you guys are here, we're just happy to have you along to talk some Oregon football as we continue getting closer to spring football. Uh, we are going to be talking today about the running backs in our spring football preview. I'm joined today by Ducks Digest reporter Dylan Rubin King. Rube, how we doing, man? Thanks for coming on. Doing great. It's always happy. I'm always happy to to join in. And we're only 10 days out from the first spring practice. Isn't that crazy? It's wild, man. I mean, I feel like I was like really just getting into the flow of basketball a little bit more since they were, you know, covering men and the women. Uh, it's quite a bit to uh, juggle. As you know, you've been helping out with that a lot. Uh, but I'm excited for football, man. You know, that's what uh, people in Eugene are, are super, super passionate about. And I think that's a uh, you know, the, the sport that really has uh, the, the national attention when it comes to the Ducks right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, with the new era, with the Dan Lanning era and so much change, you know, primarily at running back is one area we're going to talk about with Dye and Verdell heading out. Um, you know, it's going to be a really exciting time to see what this Oregon program is um, is made of. No doubt about it. So if you guys uh, – are here and you want to hear about some of the other previews that we've done. The only other one we've done so far is quarterbacks, but that one was really fun. And that's, you know, probably the, the hottest topic right now with Oregon football is that, uh, you know, upcoming quarterback battle, go ahead and check out, uh, you know, the video on my channel um, to, you know, get up to speed on the quarterbacks, but we're going to keep it rolling today with the running backs. Uh, Oregon loses CJ Verdell. Uh, you know, not a huge surprise to see him uh, declare for the NFL draft and uh, subsequently receive an invite to the scouting combine. Uh, he was, you know, really the workhorse for Oregon football, uh, you know, for pretty much his entire college career uh, until he got injured against Stanford last year. And that was a season ending injury that was tough to see. And then uh, you also have Travis Dye, who worked in tandem with Verdell, as I mentioned, and uh, he was a really dynamic talent, you know, probably one of the most dynamic runners that Oregon's had uh, seen all the added value that he had in the passing game. So you lose two of those guys. And then, um, you know, looking into next year, there's a lot of youth, Dylan, but I think still tons of you know, good reason to be excited. Yeah. I mean, Travis Dye and CJ Verdell, I mean, they're both in the top 10 all time in rushing yards. You're losing, I think upwards of 5,000 career rushing yards right there. And that's a huge chunk of what they had last year. Um, you know, and just having that veteran presence at the, at the running back group the last couple of years is just, it's not going to be there. Um, you know, yeah, completely new. Byron Cardwell is the number one guy, um, you know, and Sean Dollars has been there the longest. But of course, he's only had, um, you know, a short sample size that we can go off of. Um, but I, th I think there's a lot of promise. There's a lot of unproven talent. I think you could argue that Byron Cardwell has proven what he's capable of, but being the, the workhorse, being the number one running back, we've yet to see that so far. And I'm really excited to see what this what this group looks like because we're still trying to figure out what the Oregon offensive identity is going to look like with Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham. You know, they talked about this pro-style offense of upwards of 80 plays per game, really fast-paced. You know, is it going to be this kind of physicality, run it down your throat kind of mantra that 
Mario Cristobal emphasize, or is it going to be this flash and speed that Chip Kelly and Mark Helfrich uh, put forth? So I'm really excited to see how they kind of fit into that equation. Carwell is definitely the, I think the biggest name that people are talking about right now, just because of his body of work from the 2021 season, just to bring some of his stats to light here in 14 games, Carwell carried the ball 61 times for the ducks for 417 total yards. And uh, that came out to 6.8 yards a pop, which is, you know, some great numbers, Dylan uh, only had three rushing touchdowns, but um, you know, not a huge surprise seeing how uh, Travis died really took on a majority of that workload once die went down. But I think to your point about Dillingham and kind of what he you know has has revealed a little bit about his plans for the offense, um, you know that pro style up tempo. I think it kind of lends me to believe that they're going to be running you know with a two back set. Um, I know we've talked before kind of about uh, Seven McGee and how I think it would make sense to uh, kind of have him utilized a lot more this year. But maybe we could kind of just start with Carwell. Um, and, you know, if we have any questions or comments that kind of trickle in the live chat, we definitely want to get you guys involved over there. We can maybe address some of those as they come up. But, um, yeah, let's let's start off with uh, Carwell and then kind of work our way through the rest of the room. Um, it is maybe worth noting um, that uh, as of right now, the, the Ducks are only going to have three scholarship running backs uh, for spring football, with that being Byron, those being Byron Carwell, Sean Dollars, and uh, Seven McGee. And then we'll see if, you know, he ends up being used more at wide receiver or running back or bouncing back between the two. The Ducks lost Cross Patton, who was a former walk-on who followed Ken Wilson to Nevada. And then uh, the Ducks still have Aaron Smith, uh, a walk-on from my hometown of San Jose, which is great. Um, and um, am I missing anybody else right now? I mean, Jordan Jordan, I don't think Jordan James is going to be here for the spring as far as we oh, know yeah. right now. Um, I think I maybe need to do a little more digging, but I don't believe I've seen anything that, uh, that leads me to believe, or that's been reported that he's going to be here in the spring. So those are kind of some of the main guys that we're going to be working on, but, uh, how about you guys started, uh, just kind of giving us some of your early thoughts on Carwell based on what we were able to see, uh, from the 21 season. Sure. I mean, I think Byron Cardwell going into last season was kind of, kind of an underthought. Like a lot of people didn't really think of him as a guy that could be the next this or that. Um, you know, he was pretty quiet going into spring. He had a really good spring and fall camp. It just, it felt like not a lot of people were talking about him. And then early on in the year, you know, early on in that Pac-12 slate, late in the, um, you know, the conference, non-conference schedule, you kind of saw him get some of those carries that maybe people thought Trey Benson would get um, and maybe Sean Dollars would get if he had been healthy. Um, and and he just kind of took off from there. You know, the Colorado game, I think, was was the breakout where he had like 120 yards on six or seven carries in that long touchdown run. Um, the Washington State game, he had a really good game as well. Um, I just think he's kind of like a complete back from what I've seen so far. He's a combination of of Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell of sorts. Like, I don't think he has quite the power that C.J. Verdell has showed. Uh, obviously, C.J. Verdell is like, you know, as powerful a running back as there probably is in this draft class. But he's shown it a little bit. You know, he's got um, not track speed, but, you know, speed that's, that's you know, definitely effective. He's got amazing footwork, amazing vision, you know, sees the holes. He can really move past defenders. Um, you know, I really think there's a lot of promise and obviously there's some area to improve, but from his first year, I mean, I don't really know if I saw maybe CJ Verdell is the best example of a true freshman coming in and, and, you know, showing what he can do right away. Cause obviously the running back situation was, was kind of like what we're seeing now with 2022, um, you know, in 20, I believe 18 was Verdell's freshman year and Royce Freeman had moved on. So I feel like it's kind of in that kind of ballpark. And Byron Cardwell, in my opinion, has a chance to do what CJ Verdell did over his career. Yeah, with uh with Verdell, you know, he he got to uh Oregon in, in 2017 and he he redshirted his true freshman year. But you know, by the time that job came a little bit more open in 2018, he he was really ready to roll. And uh, you know, I don't think he missed a step really. Um, when, when that job was, was kind of up for grabs and, you know, he took hold of it and really took it and, and ran with it. So with Cardwell, I think another interesting part about him and kind of his transition to the college level is he was a guy who, who played in a, a couple of spring games in 2021, um, uh, to kind of finish out his, um, high school, 
uh, season in the spring. So he didn't have the benefit of getting to Oregon early. So maybe that's part of the reason, Dylan, you were talking about him maybe being an, a little bit of an afterthought. You know, a lot of people, I, I don't know if they have differing opinions on the benefits of early enrollment, but I feel like it's becoming a little bit more of a hot topic just because, um, you know, with the early signing period, I think some guys feel pressure to to get to, you know, their next stop early. I'm not saying that was the case with him at Oregon by any means, but it's just another interesting kind of dynamic that we see with, with today's era of college football. But as far as what he did as a, as a freshman at Oregon, you know, we got to talk to him at the media availabilities a handful of times and really just liked how he carried himself has a, has a great head on his shoulders. Um, and I, I love the, the, you know, kind of work ethic that he has and the mentality that he has um, just, just another great young man on this team. And I think we saw that, you know, carry over pretty well onto the field, you know, after CJ got hurt and, you know, Carbo really saw, I think, an opportunity to get on the field early and he, he took full advantage of every one of his opportunities. That doesn't mean that every game that he played in was, you know, amazing, but you look at that, that Colorado game that I think, uh, you know, really got a lot of people's attention. Like, oh, dang, this guy's, I think this guy could be, you know, one of the next Oregon greats. Um, and, you know, maybe you don't want to say draw those conclusions from just one game. Right. But I think that that game really caught a lot of people's attention. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the the stats right now for for that game in particular, but it's um, it's not quite letting me. So I might need to. OK, here we go. Uh, yeah. Against Colorado. Let's see. Uh, seven carries for 127 yards and a touchdown. So that was awesome. I really do like the patience that he runs with as such a young back. I think that's one of the parts of the the game of football that is a little bit harder to, to get adjusted to. Um, and, you know, he definitely strikes me as a north-south guy rather than an east-west that you see kind of trending a little bit with, with some speedsters, uh, speedster running backs now. Uh, so I think really, really liked for, like everything that I saw from him on the on the ground. Maybe you ideally would have seen a little bit more of a contribution through the passing game, if you want to call that a, a knock on him. But I really don't even think you can call it that. It's just something that we, with the sample size that we have, we just didn't happen to see him utilized a whole lot on the passing plays. And, uh, I mean, when you look at Travis Dye and how efficient he was, uh, it, I think it makes a lot of sense. So maybe that's an area that he's going to be focusing on heading into the spring. But um, out of Oregon's stable of running backs, it, it probably stands to reason that this is the one that if you're Dan Lane and this coaching staff, yeah, this is the one that you're most confident about right now. For sure. And I appreciate you uh, correcting me. I forgot that he had he hadn't come in until the fall. I, I forgot that he wasn't in there in the, in the spring. But um, yeah, I think one of the things that I remember hearing was, um, you know, about Byron Cardwell is the fact that he's like super patient that you mentioned. And when I was watching him kind of back the last, you know, a couple of weeks or so, because he's one of those guys that just has a has a really unique skill set for a freshman running back. And it reminded me a little bit of Le'Veon Bell early on in his career at Michigan State. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about Le'Veon Bell throughout his career, how he's just super patient, makes really shifty cuts, um, you know, just kind of waits for the play to develop before he kind of takes over. And, you know, he kind of came in as the same size that Le'Veon Bell did. Um, early on at Michigan State around that six foot 215 range. Um, and I think Byron Cordwell has a chance to be an every down back. Honestly, you talked about the north south, um, you know, impact. I think you definitely saw that this year. But he's a guy that can, you know, put moves on a guy. He's he's capable of juking guys out of their shoes. And, um, you know, I, I was really hoping to see him be a little bit more involved in the passing game, too. Only had four catches for three yards. And you lose a guy like Travis Dye, who I think it was what second or third on the team in receptions last year. Of course, there was a lot of the the short game last year that they utilized with Anthony Brown, and hopefully that's not kind of a go-to next season with whoever starts at quarterback. Um, but I definitely think you need a, a running back that has that ability to to catch and make plays out of uh, you know out of the backfield on a wheel route or, or whatever it might be. Um, but I think he's capable of being a, a blocking back. You know that Mario Cristobal emphasized that for sure. Um, you know, we'll have to see what that looks like with Dan Lanning and Dillingham. But if you're a running back, you, you definitely got to know how to block. And I think Cardwell's got the frame to be able to do that as well. Yeah, he absolutely has the frame to, uh, you know, really stick in there and and hopefully give the quarterback a little bit more time. Want to uh, answer uh, or talk about Mikey G's comment here on the screen. Mikey G says, everyone says he has patience and I get it. He does. I just can't wait to describe him using different adjectives because we see more reps from him. And that, I mean, that I 
feel the exact same way. I think Dylan, you and I were talking before we hit record here and I said, wow, it's kind of surprising that Carbo only had 61 carries. Um, so I don't know if it felt like kind of just like off the top, I kind of feel like I thought it was more than that just based off of how often we saw him last year, but, um, 61 carries for, uh, just a little over 400 yards, I think is what it was averages 6.8 yards per carry. Um, so yeah, seeing a bigger sample size is definitely gonna, gonna help kind of get a little bit of a better handle on our evaluation of him. But Mikey, I'll throw some other words at you, uh, when I'm talking about Carwell, I think I really like his explosion. Um, you know, when he's coming out of those cuts, I think that's really encouraging to see, especially with how big of a frame he has, you know, to, to see the kind of wiggle that he has in and out of his cuts and, and the vision that he has, uh, are definitely some encouraging signs, um, from, from any running back. Um, but especially a guy that we think, you know, we've kind of talked about is, is capable of being that, that bell cow back, you know, the every down kind of back. Um, and I talked earlier, just kind of the demeanor that he had to him. I think that that was really, really encouraging as well, because maybe that's something that doesn't get talked about enough. You know, I think with, um, with, um, you know, the, the running back room and uh, just, college football, maybe, you know, you think that someone's going to be able to, if they're really talented and they're a freshman, you know, they're going to be able to come in and have success really like pretty easily. But I think making sure that you have the the right kind of a guy and, and an athlete that um, knows it's about more than just him. And I mean, that's like one of the biggest things that I think stands out to me about Carwell is that he's really a team first guy. Another phrase that gets thrown around a tremendous amount, but after being around him and Eugene and being at the media availabilities, you know, you can tell he's super bought in just with how encouraging he was last year. I mean, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to say like sky's the limit, but you know, if he has a really, really strong off season, I mean, I feel really confident about him being, you know, one of the top contributors for this Oregon rushing attack next year. You talked about his demeanor, and I think a prime example of that was at the end of the year before the Alamo Bowl, before they took off. Um, they were asking him about his, um, you know, kind of if he was locked in with the new coaching staff and how he was kind of affected by the coaching change, you know, with the game still left to play. And he was completely bought in. He just said, look, I'm, I'm here to get better. I'm here to, you know, just work on what I can control, um, you know, and, and he's just yeah, he's one of those guys that just kind of puts his head down and works and does whatever is asked of him. And I think, you know, I'm really excited to see him get more carries because last season, the only time he had double digit carries was against Washington at 16 carries for 55 yards. And of course, against that Washington secondary, they were just, you know, that was the game plan from the start was just to run it down their throat. And they did that with Travis Dye primarily, but they used Cardwell a little bit for that too. And I was really kind of disappointed at the end of the year that we didn't get to see more of them when the games were a lot bigger, like against um, Utah in the Pac-12 championship game. He only had one carry for two yards um, and the Alamo Bowl had six carries for 17 yards. I was hoping to see him get utilized a little bit more just because Verdell was already out. You didn't really know if Travis Dye was going to go to the NFL or the transfer portal. We're, I'm kind of on the same train that I was with, you know, starting Ty Thompson over Anthony Brown. I feel like using Byron Cardwell toward the end of the year in those big games would have set you up a little bit more in the future. And having seven carries combined in those two games just didn't really sit right with me. But overall, I think I'm pretty comfortable with him being the number one guy after what we saw kind of in that early stretch against Colorado, Washington State, and even that Washington game. Yeah, and, and, and maybe it goes without saying, but I wanted to just mention, Dylan, that I think, you know, similar to the the quarterback situation, you know, we're not saying that, you know, the competition's over. Like, we think these guys are going to be handed the job. But I think you and I are on the same page just as far as, you know, based on the body of work that we saw from Carwell, it makes sense that we think he's probably one of the better options for this roster right now. He's ran behind this offensive line. He's, he's gotten some, some good reps. Um, but this room is really capable, and there are a lot of, you know, in, intriguing options right now. So, um, we're gonna. That's why we're gonna keep working our way through these guys as as we uh, kind of work our way down the list. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with Carwell, or can we move on to our next guy? I'm just excited. He's wearing number 21. I, you know, I love seeing an Oregon running back back in 21. Everybody's gonna make the the comments about Lamichael James and Royce Freeman. You know, maybe it's it's time to throw Byron Cardwell's name in there by the end of of this year because I feel like C.J. Verdell when. 
had that really good freshman year and then bounced back and had a huge 2019. I feel like that's where a lot of the expectation is going to be on Byron Cardwell is, is that kind of jump to be maybe a 1,000 yard rusher. Um, you know, and Oregon's seen no shortage of, of running backs wearing 21 going over 1,000 yards. He's got the uh, offensive line to help him get there. That's without a doubt. We want to keep going on through our uh, running back preview here for spring football. Is That's just about 10 days away, like we said on the top from, uh, from Dylan. So let's talk about Seven McGee. Um, you know, he he's a guy that, um, you know, from a carry standpoint, he ranked fifth um, last year with just 14 carries for 61 yards and uh, averaged 4.4 yards a carry and had one touchdown, um, averaging less than five yards a game. But it's not super surprising just when you look at how much he ultimately got used. But I think what has me so excited about him is, you know, just – like uh, Carvel, I want to see more usage of him. I think with all the veterans that they had on last year's roster, you just didn't have enough opportunities to, to really get him involved. Saw him get a little more involved towards the end, particularly at wide receiver, kind of doing some work out of the slot after the uh, Ducks saw some attrition at the wide receiver spot due to injuries and transfers. We kind of all know how that shook out. But, you know, you, you hear about the, the DeAnthony Thomas comparisons, which I, I mean – Quite frankly, I don't think we've seen enough of him to see if that's a legitimate comparison, but I think we've seen enough to see why people maybe say that and why there's so much excitement around him. Because uh, if you even look at his high school highlights, you know, he was really doing it all, like regardless of what was asked from him. He even came over the top to play in safety, delivering some big hits, had some really impressive catches um, as a wide receiver or just working out of the backfield, catching the ball. So I think that that he's a guy that, that, I think I'm really excited for just because of the the opportunity to get him more involved and to to get creative with with him as an offensive weapon. Uh, you know, especially in Dillingham's first year as offensive coordinator, and that's a you know he's going to be a big part of a piece that I'm, I want to work on here this week. Just talking about why now is the time for kind of an offensive innovation. I don't know if I want to say overhaul because clearly there were things that worked from last year, but with the new staff, the youth of Kenny Dillingham, the new weapons here. Uh, how much they were underutilized, the ones that were here last year. I think that's kind of along the lines of what I'm saying. And, and Seven McGee, I think, is going to play a huge part in that for this team. For sure. I remember tweeting, I think it was before the Pac-12 championship game, um, or maybe it was the Alamo Bowl. I'm not 100% sure. But um, I think actually, now I think about it, I think it was the Pac-12 championship. Because my point in that tweet was something about how Oregon had kind of unloaded something new in each of the last couple Pac-12 championship games. I like that comparison. Yeah, Kenyon Barner. Um, you know, with, with 2019, you kind of saw, um, you know, Justin Herbert running the ball. That was new. 2020 in the Pac-12 championship, Anthony Brown, um, you know, coming in all of a sudden and, you know, providing a spark for the Oregon offense that was really struggling. I felt like Seven McGee was going to be that guy that was just going to come out and just tear it up in that Pac-12 championship game because – the offense really needed that spark, um, especially against Utah, a defense that had really figured out the Oregon offense. I feel like Seven McGee is one of those guys that it just doesn't come around very often because, like you said, he can do a little bit of everything. He's a phenomenal receiver, you know, just has crazy good speed, really good vision. A lot of guys just don't come around that often. And when you have a guy wearing an Oregon uniform like that that can do those kinds of things – yeah, you're going to see the DeAnthony Thomas, the Kenyon Barner, you know, Taj Griffin, um, you know, those kind of comparisons because they just have this crazy speed. And I, I don't like to throw around the the next X and the next Y, but I feel like he's a guy that can be utilized like Jalen Red was, where, you know, you can just throw him around anywhere on the field and he can just go. And I, I feel like Seven McGee is just kind of this X factor that people have been forgetting about because, you know, we've been on the Byron Cardwell hype train. We've been on, you know, the Dante Thorntons, the Chris Hudson's, the Troy Franklin's, the tight ends. Seven McGee, I feel like, has just been this guy that's been kind of underneath. And we've just been kind of sleeping on him because of, like you said, we haven't really seen too much of what he can do. And as a punt returner, as a slot receiver, as a running back, no matter what, I think he's a guy that will make this Oregon offense fun to watch again and, you know, make some defensive coordinators scratch their heads a little bit. You have a great point there just with the added value that he has in the return games as well. And just with how little 
you know, how small of a sample size we saw last year, it kind of feels like he's that lightning in a bottle kind of weapon for, for the ducks on, on this 2022 roster uh, just moving him around. And I think he, he's really effective and efficient and, you know, in terms of just being a guy that can make the most out of his touches and, you know, with if he has a little bit of a sliver of space, I think he'll be able to, you know, burst through there and, and, and gain some yards. So um, I think that that's definitely an encouraging sign for, for seven and kind of what his role could be in this 2022 team uh, on this 2022 team. Uh, maybe we kind of see him and Carwell, uh, you know, being that, uh, you know, lightning and thunder kind of a deal. Um, there was something else that I wanted to say, but I can't, I couldn't quite remember what the point was. I think just basically talking about how I think he, he could, he looks like a guy that I think could really complement um, Carbo's play style and just getting him more involved. I like what you talked about with Jalen red, getting him more involved on sweeps and screens. Um, you know, if you have some tight ends, which Oregon definitely does that are really capable of blocking in a great offensive line. Um, I think we need, that's going to be one of the things that, I want to look at with these wide receivers. Can they block like last year's wide receivers? Cause I think that was an element of last year's offense that was pretty underrated. Um, you know, even though they did see a lot of screenplays and all that, I think that'll be uh, a pretty big factor in just seeing how, how effective this offense can be. So maybe if they do have, you know, that good perimeter blocking and we'll be able to see a guy like seven McGee utilized a lot on, on some screens, but if I'm looking at Travis Dye's production last year, how versatile he was, the added value in the passing game out of the backfield, I think Seven McGee, you know, the, the blueprint's been there. You know, it's it's there. Uh, I think if you look at Travis Dye's season last year and how he got involved, maybe not so much as an every down kind of guy. I'm not saying that he's not capable of that, but um, I don't think that you're in the position where you need to have him as an every down guy. So maybe getting him involved in a similar role to Travis Dye who was incredibly productive for the Ducks during his time in Eugene could, could be a good starting point. Yeah. To your point about blocking, um, I feel like Johnny Johnson and Jalen Red are going to be two of the best blocking receivers, you know, in the NFL draft, just because you don't see a lot of guys that can just maul people at, you know, on the outside like that. Um, you know, I, that's one thing I really loved about Joe Moorhead and Mario Cristobal was, you know, if you're a wide receiver or if you're a running back, tight end doesn't really matter of course we want you to be able to you know catch the ball and, and be exciting on offense but you you gotta you gotta get down and dirty and, and block too and um you know seven mcgee has a smaller frame but i i feel like he's got some got some fight to him um but yeah i mean to your point about um you know to his you know utilization on the offense um i'm really wondering if they're gonna convert him to receiver because of course there was talks last year about you know he's practicing as a as a slot receiver as kind of that kind of that z guy um i'm really wondering if you know if there's going to be a full-time switch because there is kind of a need at running back you know like you said there's only a couple of scholarship running backs that you know are going to be there in spring and seven mcgee is one of those and if you split them over to wide receiver i think that need at running back is a little bit more dire than at wide receiver um, but of course, you know, wherever you put him, he's kind of a, kind of a Swiss army knife of sorts. And, um, I, I feel like no matter what he's going to be lined up as a receiver or running back, no matter what he's listed on, on go ducks website, I just think you're going to see him a little, do a little bit of everything. Um, but I, I think in terms of what this roster needs, what this offense needs, I think he's probably better suited as a running back as maybe running back two or three. Um, but at receiver, I don't think you can go wrong. Because one thing that I'm remembering is there was a catch, I believe, against Arizona where they had him, you know, lined up out wide, if I'm remembering correctly. And Brown kind of put him in stride and he made out, um, you know, he kind of dove for a really nice catch. Um, and you talked about his high school tape. He can he can make plays in the passing game. So I think no matter where you put him, he's going to be really effective. With the seven McGee and, you know, kind of my stance on how he should be used, just get the guy on the field. I think, you know, he'll, he'll get involved in a variety of ways um, just based off of what we saw last year, but definitely get him on the field, get him the ball. He said as much himself, you know, this last year when people were asking him about, you know, returning kind of his, his thoughts on that and, you know, getting some slot work as well. Um, that was one of the things that was actually a theme before, you know, all of the attrition that they saw was that he was really just trying to get running back down and then hoping for some slot work kind of here and there. Um, but now it's, you're at, you're at the the point, 
as an offense where you just want to get the best guys on the field and then get them the ball as many times as possible because, you know, like when Troy Franklin, for example, was utilized downfield, like we saw how how beneficial that was. And then like Dante Thornton finally got the ball. No, I shouldn't say finally, but he he got the ball for his first collegiate touch against Stony Brook and you saw what happened. So I would say I think finally. If, <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if nothing else, it was, it was, it's really just I, the opportunities. I just want to see the opportunities there. Like, you know, for, for the, for last year, I think one of the biggest frustrations with the offense was that these guys just weren't given chances. A lot of the, the younger um, wideouts and um, that that's probably one of the biggest things that I want to see. Like they could have, you know, poor statistical games, but like if they have, you know, six or seven targets or, or something like that, I just want to see them get that chance because it, it was just, I felt criminal to, to see these guys not have an opportunity last year. Uh, don't want to get into the receivers too much, but um, I guess kind of the conversation bled over because we, we might be seeing seven McGee kind of go that route a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I totally agree. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of diamonds in the rough, even though, of course, some of those guys are like four or five star guys. But, um, you know, they're just kind of waiting for their chance. And, um, you know, now that a lot of the veterans have, have moved on, I think it's time for guys like Byron Cardwell and Seven McGee and Troy Franklin, Dante Thornton. We'll talk about them in another stream, I'm sure. But, you know, it's, it's time for the future of Oregon's playmakers. Um, their times now. Got a question again from from Mikey G. Since we're talking returners, any sense if Jaleel Florence get any ch- gets any chances back there? Yeah, I think that uh, if you're looking at the roster right now, you know you have Seven who got a little bit of time back there last year, and then you also have Chris Hudson. He's another person who's been utilized in the return game a little bit, but I don't see why you wouldn't. I mean, if you have that track speed, you might as well try to kind of test him out and get him more involved. Uh, I think there there was a report saying that he was going to be joining Oregon for spring football, so. I think that'd be a great time to uh, try to get get him a little bit more involved back there. Um, and, and like I said, I mean, if I'm if I'm this Oregon coaching staff, I'm kind of just trying everybody out and seeing, you know, who gives me the the best eleven uh, on any given play. Yeah, I think Jalo Florence and Jalo Tucker are two guys I really really want to see back there. Even Kamari Terrell, I, I feel like he's got that track speed too. Any of those guys, you know, you could put out there. But of course, you don't want to just put all of these bodies and just you know, have it be a mishmash of, of guys and see what you have. I feel like what they have right now and what they know they have is Seven McGee and Chris Hudson. Uh, Chris Hudson, I think, has been doing it the past two years. We saw it a little bit at the end of 2020 where he was returning kicks. Um, and Seven McGee, I feel like, is probably the most explosive guy that they would have. But Florence, I'd be super comfortable putting him back there. Um, Jalil Tucker as well. But I, I feel like where you're probably going to see them most to start, at least in the spring, is on special teams as, as, you know, as gunners, because they're, um, you know, short tacklers, they're super fast. Like that's where you can really see guys like that shine. Cause Javon Holland and Brady breeze are a couple guys I'm thinking of that, you know, you saw them make plays in, in special teams and then it trickled over to, um, you know, to the defensive side, Brady breeze more so because he wasn't really getting a lot of snaps on defense. And then, um, you know, made a lot of huge game changing plays on special teams and found his way on defense. Um, Jello Florence and Tucker, they had more talent, I think, um, a lot more reps on defense that is kind of a plug and play thing than Brady Breeze was, I think. Um, you know, as big of a fan of, of Brady Breeze as I am, I feel like Florence and Tucker are, are more, uh, you know, day one kind of starting capability. Um, but in terms of special teams, if, if they can't find their spot in the secondary right away, yeah, put them as returners or gunners. I'd love to see it. Both Florence and Tucker are just absolute playmakers at the end of the day. Uh, maybe Tucker a little bit more so, I want to say, just because I think there was more of a legitimate conversation in his recruitment about playing wide receiver at the next level. Not so mm-hmm. much with Oregon, but when I was talking to him during his recruitment, he was saying, you know, that's kind of why Florida State was one of my finalists because they they were more open to, to getting him involved as a wide receiver. But um, that's another kind of aspect of this 2022 team that, you know, adds to the excitement is the – I don't want to say, you know, um, renewal of speed because obviously last year's team had speed on it, but like I feel like it's being prioritized in a, in a different way uh, with this 2022 uh, roster at a variety of positions. So that's definitely part of the reason we're we're excited about you know spring football and kind of seeing a little bit of what Dan Lanning and company have in store with this team. Uh, probably going to be going for around another 10 minutes or so. And we have a couple more guys that we want to get into here on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast.
So we'll uh, you know turn the page a little bit and talk about our next guy right after this ad break. Stay with us. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back on the Ducks Dish podcast with our spring football preview for the Oregon Ducks. And uh, these last two guys that we want to hit on, um, we know at least one of them is going to be here in the spring, and that is Sean Dollars. Uh, Sean Dollars is is a guy that comes with a tremendous amount of upside, but uh, also, you know, as it stands right now, uh, a lot of of unknown. Uh, You know, he came to, to Oregon in the 2020, no, 2019 class, excuse me, I'm pretty sure it's 2019, um, came out of modern day after transferring from Rancho Cucamonga. Uh, but in the spring of last year, he um, he had a pretty serious injury. So unfortunately, wasn't able to play and see the field at all in 2021. But uh, I think he's kind of a guy that reminds me a little bit more so of Seven McGee, just in terms of his versatility. Uh, maybe not as quick or as fast as Seven McGee, but I mean, the you 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 look at his highlight highlight tape from from high school and you see why the coaching staff really any coaching staff would be excited to work with him i uh, really only saw one flash with him or one good sample size i should say uh against usc in that pac-12 championship game uh but you know we're, he's saying that he's healthy and he's ready to go and and um hopefully he can take the a step in the right direction you know with this uh spring football under the new staff I remember in 2019, his freshman year, he had a, it was like a, had to be like a 60 or 70 yard run against Montana, I think. And um, I mean that year, yeah, it was 2019 was, was his first year. Um, I had a, I had a class or two with, with Sean Dollars and I remember seeing him around campus and he's listed at 5'10", 171. I, I don't know about that. He's, he's a bit bigger than, than 5'10", 171, I think. Um, I'm, I'm six, three. I feel like he's a little taller than that. I think he's closer to six feet. And, you know, with, with the strength and conditioning program that Oregon's got, I feel like he, you could see him be a bit bulkier going into, uh, you know, going into this spring, but, um, yeah, I, I was there for the USC game, the Pac-12 championship game. And there were a couple of drives where you saw him kind of just take control. Um, you know, and it wasn't a guy who was going to rip off 20 yard runs like you saw with Byron Cardwell. Um, you know, not as crazy explosive guy like you see with Seven McGee, but he's a guy that can get it done. And I feel like once he gets out there and healthy um, and just, you know, gets those touches, I feel like he can really go. Um, you know, he's a guy who's really shifty, um, you know, has a little bit of power to him as well, really sees the field well. I'm just really excited to see him be healthy for once. You know, last year, I feel like his his game would have been a really good compliment off the you know, off the bench to die in Verdell. I, I felt like he was going to do what Byron Cardwell did last year. Um, it just, it never came to be with that, with that injury. Um, do you know what that injury is? I don't think Cristobal ever really said what that was. I'm, I'm curious because if it's like something like a knee, I, I'm a little concerned, but he's had a lot of time to recover. 
Let me see here. Um, I want. I know that I. I wrote it here. There's a story that I wrote on it. Um, let me see though. Hold on. Cause yeah, I know details were hard to come by during the yeah. uh, crystal ball area era. <laughs> um, so I'm looking at my story that I wrote from April 5th, 2021. Um, and Cristobal said that it was quote, a pretty significant leg injury. So mm-hmm. that's a little vague um, just because the leg has, you know, so many different parts. Um, yeah. So I'm seeing another report uh, said it was a knee injury. Um, but um, I need to do a little more research on that before uh, confirming. So pretty significant leg injury is what we got out of crystal ball. And, um, you know, didn't get a whole lot of new details as the season kind of wound down. Cause there was some hope that he was going to be ready to go, uh, at the end of last season or maybe in the postseason. uh, with that mm-hmm. obviously being a bowl game, but, um, that'll probably be one of the questions that, uh, we definitely want to, you know, hone in on when uh, spring football gets underway. Yeah. I can't remember exactly when it was, but I do remember Cristobal saying we could see him mid November. Um, that had to have been pretty, pretty early in the season. And then he was saying maybe the postseason. And then I just don't think he ever got asked about him again. But if he suffered that injury back in April or maybe prior to that, and, um, you know, they felt comfortable enough to say we could see him back in mid-November and um, toward the postseason, I feel like he's probably as close to healthy uh, as you can get right now, just because it's been um, almost a full calendar year, I would imagine, since that injury. So I feel like he's probably going to show up in spring and and be healthy. you know, I feel like he's got a chance to be that running back too. Um, you know, because we don't know what Seven McGee's role is going to look like. I feel like Sean Dollars has, you know, only 15 carries to his name, but I feel like we've seen enough of of his ability at the college level to kind of take command of of a drive and and be a you know a guy for at least a drive. Um, you know, I, I feel like Cardwell and Sean Dollars is going to be maybe the the dying Verdell thunder and lightning combo that we've seen for the last three, four years. Just uh, a little bit of notes here on uh, Sean dollars coming out of high school. Cause like we said, we haven't seen too much of him at the college level. This is from Brendan Huffman back in the fall of 2018. So that would have been dollars senior year. Uh, so Brendan Huffman, national recruiting editor for two, four, seven sports uh, described dollars as uh, dollars is quicker than fast showing initial quickness at the line of scrimmage and ability to make defenders miss while showing some elusiveness, but top end speed lacks runs with power and good vision and is a plus receiver out of the backfield competitive and tough projects as a power five level starter and a third round NFL draft pick or undrafted free agent. So I want to say that's obviously pretty dated at this point, but um, you know, I think Brandon does a lot of great work over there at two, four, seven. So He's a, he's a guy that, um, you know, I, I, I respect and value his opinion uh, when it comes to things like that. So dollars has obviously changed a lot. I think since he got to college, you know, his body's, um, you know, changed since getting to the college level. And he has some experience now uh, on that uh, during that 2020 season, um, you know, with the ducks, but uh, yeah, you, you got to figure that he's, he's rearing to go and he's going to be, you know, one of the hungriest guys in that room, just seeing that he's coming off that injury and, it really feels like it's completely wide open. You know, we talked about uh, Carwell's having the, the body at work, but I think about this new staff, you know, you kind of have to take, uh, you know, a fresh perspective at this room and, uh, you know, give everybody a fair shot. And, and Dollars is definitely a guy I'm super excited about. I feel like he's going to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder just because, um, you know, you saw him on Twitter talking about like, you know, I'm, I'm healthy. I'm ready to go. I've, it was like my first major injury. Um, you know, look at my body of work kind of thing from high school. Um, and, you know, he, I believe he entered the transfer portal like, like two, three times and then came back, um, you know, after talking with the coaching staff, I'm sure. So I love that he's bought in. I love that he's defending himself. And, you know, like you said, he's rearing to go. I'm sure he's one of the hungriest guys in that entire locker room to, to get out there and compete. No doubt, man. Well, there's there's one more guy we can talk about a little bit. Uh, Jordan James, the 2022 Oregon running back signee after he flipped from Georgia. Uh, like I said, I don't think it makes a whole lot of sense to talk about him right now because uh, as of right now, we don't. Uh, it doesn't look like he's going to be on campus uh, for spring football. Um, so maybe it, it makes more sense to to get a guy like Aaron Smith a little bit more involved. And he was definitely one of the talks of fall camp. Um, just when Master was talking about kind of how some of the the walk-on guys when Cross Patton was here and then Aaron Smith 
uh, you know, have been pleasant surprises. And I think that every time I saw him in whether it be the spring game or, or fall camp uh, scrimmages, I think that uh, it's going to be, he's going to be a guy to watch for sure. But I mean, Jordan James probably uh, with him coming in late, um, you know, probably not an ideal situation from a competition standpoint, but um, like, like I, to my last point, just about kind of having a fresh perspective and giving everybody a shot. I don't, I don't think it's going to be a bad thing uh, necessarily that, that he might be getting here, you know, a little late. Yeah. One guy that I wanted to talk about, I'm glad you brought him up um, is Aaron Smith. And just because he had a, a really good, uh, I believe it was fall camp, spring camp, but probably both. Um, I know there was one where they talked about him a little bit more though. Um, I think it was spring because um, I think Jim Mastro, if I remember right, he called him like a pleasant surprise um, just because I think he was added to the roster a little bit later, at least the GoDucks.com roster. Um, and he just kind of came in there and was was making a lot of noise. And a lot of the guys on offense and Jim Mastro, they were talking about him pretty often when they were asking about guys that were standing out. Um, you know, I, I feel like he's one of those guys that should Jordan James not come in in the spring and, you know, maybe Sean Dollars isn't quite ready to go, which I anticipate he will be. But, um, you know, maybe if there's some sort of setback, um, Aaron Smith is a guy that I feel pretty comfortable, you know, maybe seeing as a, a running back three or four guy. Um, you know, I know he's a walk on, but I really like his size. I really like what I've, what I've heard about him. Um, and you don't have cross Patton and Trey Benson. They're both gone. Um, I feel like a lot of it behind Byron Cardwell from what we've talked about and just his experience. I feel like everything behind him is, is really wide open just because it's guys that have injuries, guys that are, you know, coming in from, you know, from the high school ranks like Jordan James. And then there's a couple of guys that have just been, um, you know, kind of around like Aaron Smith and Aaron Smith is one of those guys that's got a lot of potential too. Um, so I, I feel like you could hear him um, talked about quite a bit again in the spring. I'm really excited to see if he kind of makes a name for himself and maybe finds a spot in the rotation. One more uh, question we wanted to hit on talking about uh, Jordan James question says, I have to wonder if Jordan James was promised early playing time to try to pry him away from you uh, to try to pry him away uh, from UGA or was he just more connected or loyal to Lanning? Yeah, I think with, with this, you know, I think it's, it's kind of part of the, the narrative around recruiting is, you know, promised playing time. I mean, I, I haven't talked to Jordan James, so I can't really comment on, on that part as far as the pitch that he was given, um, you know, to ultimately end up uh, signing with the Ducks. But I think, you know, playing time is certainly something that I think you could use to your advantage if you're the Ducks and you're saying, hey, we lost, you know, two of our top running backs uh, that have really been running the show for the past couple of years. So if you were to come to Oregon, you know, the competition is going to be as wide open as it's ever been which I really think has kind of been a, a common thread in this uh, discussion here on you know, this episode of today's pod, Dylan. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to say that he was pr he was promised playing time um, because I don't th really think that any school is promising that unless, you know, you're maybe like a smaller school that is looking like to really swing above your, your weight class um, potentially. So as far as that goes, I mean, we know how big the landing connection was. And then also Carlos Lachlan, that connection – uh, was pretty big as well, um, you know, from his his time kind of in that area of the country. So Jordan James is a guy that we, we've we talked about quite a bit on this podcast, you know, especially during like our signing day recap. Uh, he was a little bit of the fireworks that the Oregon Ducks were able to get here in the 2022 class, but uh, certainly a guy that we're, we're really excited to see once he gets here to Eugene. Yeah, I, you know, even if he's not contributing right away in the spring, like we said, Byron Cardwell came in in the fall, um, and they're not going to make decisions in the spring about who's going to be running back one, two. Like they're not, they're definitely not going to have that figured out after spring. So, you know, he's not going to lose his spot or anything if uh, he doesn't come in in the spring. Um, but I, I feel like once he does get there, I feel like he's a guy that you can't sleep on either, just because for a guy to be committed to to Georgia for that long and have so many top programs looking at him, I, he just kind of came out of nowhere. I remember you were talking about, um, you know, in terms of going to Oregon. Um, I, I remember you talking about like Oregon was looking at this, this kid from their guy that's committed to, to Georgia and had been for a while. And I honestly didn't really think there was a chance they could get him just because he had been committed to Georgia for so long. And I think he was telling some outlets that he was going to sign and, and then, you know, sure as heck, he comes in and signs on national signing day with Oregon. Um, and I feel like he's a guy that's really, really talented, kind of fits the mold of, 
Oregon running backs. And whenever he comes in, I'm excited to see what he can do. I just don't think he's going to be a guy who probably gets as much of a load like Byron Cardwell did last year as a freshman. Um, but you never really know. I, I like the talent that he's got. And, um, you know, he's, he's showed her a lot of promise on that, on the high school tape. Um, if you watch some of his high school highlights, he's, he's a D one running back. I just think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to, you know, maybe get into the rotation. Love the the writing style with Jordan James and the, the physicality that he plays with. Uh, that'll be all the time we have for today's episode of the podcast, you guys. But uh, before we get out of here, Dylan, where can people find more of you? Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at DRK Sports News. Um, you can also find my work all over Ducks Digest, Max will plug where you can find all of that. And I'm also working with the Transfer Portal CFB. I have a lot of new people on staff. We're pumping out a lot of really good content. Um, including something uh, my buddy Liam did about, uh, you know, Brian Kelly versus Debo Swinney, who's the cringier head coach. So go check that out and, uh, you know, speak your mind on that. Right on, right on. Well, if you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at mtorussports, that name right there on your screen. You guys want to find more of our Oregon Ducks coverage, you can head on over to ducksdigest.com. We're doing our thing every day covering the Ducks. Going to start rolling out some more spring previews. Already have the quarterbacks up there, like I mentioned. Uh, definitely, if you guys are watching this on YouTube, go ahead and do me a huge favor. Smash that like button. Subscribe to the channel. It is a tremendous help, and it only takes a second out of your day. Also, uh, if you're listening to the uh, podcast, or if you're listening to it on uh, you know, podcast form, uh, definitely go over and give us a, a good review over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That's a huge help as well. Um, but, uh, I could go on and on about, you know, plugging all the other platforms that we have. Um, but those are some of the biggest ones and, uh, we're going to keep rolling out those previews in the future as we work our way towards spring football, uh, for Dylan Rubin King, I'm Max Torres. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode of the ducks dish podcast. Appreciate the support and we will see you guys in the next episode. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.